Hey there, and welcome to the Best Picture Marathon of the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Best Picture winning films or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Happy August, everyone. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Uh, for me, movie-wise at least, I've had a pretty good month so far um, since last episode. You know, I was able to watch Shin Ultraman uh, at, at, in the U.S. premiere at the New York Asian Film Fest. I also watched Mean Girls for the first time ever, which was a real trip to see where all those uh, quotes and pop culture have come from. And I also had a pretty great time with the recent uh, Predator prequel Prey uh, streaming on Hulu. Uh, and of course, you know, I watched uh, the two movies we were covering for this week's episode of of the Best Picture Marathon, uh, my project to try to watch every Best Picture Marathon over the next couple of years or so. Uh, last month, we talked about the two silent films to ever win Best Picture, uh, 2011's The Artist and the first Best Picture winner, 1929's Wings. Uh, make sure you check that episode out if you haven't already. Now, both of these films also happen to be in black and white. Uh, Wings, because color films wouldn't really be a thing until 1939, when Gone with the Wind would be the first color film to win Best Picture, and The Artist, uh, as a homage mods to films of that era. So I figured, you know, why not try to look at a couple more black and white films this coming month. Um, now, originally, I was going to look at uh, 1960s The Apartment and then Sindler's List from 1994. Uh, the Apartment is, you know, a film that often shows up on Best Picture winner films um, and was the last black and white film to win Best Picture for over 30 years until uh, Spielberg's Schindler's List would be the first one to repeat that feat. Um, and of course, Schindler's List is a modern classic uh, in terms of you know Best Picture winner films uh, in that regard. So I figured why not continue having some strong, uh, strong movies, uh, at least to start off this series. Now, that being said, I did get news uh, in planning this episode uh, that friend of the show, Jeff, from Classic Movies Live, uh, would be visiting New York, and I knew that, to quote Alexander Hamilton, I was not going to throw away my shot to have uh, my first in-person interview on the Oscars Death Race podcast. Uh, you know, this isn't something I've done. I mean, I've done other in-person interviews for other podcasts I've done, but uh, for this one in particular, you know, for the last three years, it's basically all been virtual. Um, now, you know, since Jeff was visiting New York, um, I tweeted the film we would be covering slightly um, still to have the black and white theme but I ended up uh, adding on the, the stipulation it would be about films uh, about New York City or sought in and around New York City so that you know it would be a little bit more topical to you know Jeff's visit to the Big Apple where I live um, the apartment of course is still qualified um, since you know the apartment itself is uh, located uh, in uh, in uh, located in uh, uh, Manhattan. Um, but, you know, rather than Sindler's List, you know, I ended up uh, having us talk about uh, nine, the 1950 Best Picture winner, All About Eve. Um, again, another film that, you know, is, again, very lauded for best for the Oscars. It's actually tied for the most nominations uh, ever uh, in Oscar history. Um, and it is very much concerned with the culture of the New York Broadway scene of that era. Um, so, you know, the fact that also that, it, you know, it was uh, 10 years, exactly 10 years apart between uh, All About Eve and uh, the apartment also gave a nice comparison point between the two um, in the same way actually looking back how the apartment from last month's episode is about 10 months 10 years or so away from current day so kind of seeing that evolution in the film. Uh, more importantly, though, for me, this was just a fun chance to finally get to meet Jeff in person uh, and catch up, you know, not just about movies that you hear in this conversation, but also just about life in general, which we did off air. Now, we did record this one in a diner in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, Jeff had just come from visiting the MoMA, uh, and I actually had come from watch from that New York Asian Film Fest uh, screening of Sin Ultraman I had talked about. Um, and actually, you know, at the Lincoln, it, the, the apartment that we, that uh, is in the film is actually only a couple blocks away from the uh, from the 
uh, Lincoln Center. So you will hear in here uh, that I actually showed Jeff a picture of the apartment which I took uh, to show him, uh, knowing we were going to talk about this. Um, in any case, though, because we were in public in a diner, you know, we don't have our usual soundproofing, and we don't have my great, good quality microphone that you're used to. So this is literally me just dropping a voice recorder on the on the table and just chatting, right? So there will be background noise, uh, including at a couple points. Uh, you'll we got interrupted by the servers of the diner we were that we were eating and coming and bringing us our food and clearing our plates away. I didn't clear it too much. We kind of just kept talking as it was going on, but hopefully the, the conversation is worth listening to regardless. Uh, in any case, without further ado, here is Jeff and I coming at you live and mostly unedited, uh, talking about the next leg of the Best Picture Marathon, black and white films set in New York City, 1950s All About Eve, and 1960s The Apartment. everyone uh welcome to a very special of the oscars death race podcast best picture marathon uh you may notice the sound quality is a little bit different than normal i am not recording this at my home studio um, i'm out and about in new york city with a very special guest um i might have spoiled it in the introduction that i'm recording separately but uh our guest is hey it's me jeff from classic movies live right and if you guys know you know classic movies live jeff have been the great friend of the show uh he happened to be in new york this past weekend and so i scared both to watch a couple of movies that, um, you know, we, like I said last episode, we're going to be talking about black and white movies. Um, originally, I was actually going to do The Apartment and Schindler's List, um, but because uh, because Jeff was in New York, I figured let's do some New York-themed uh, movies, right? So uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about All About Eve, which is appropriate because you just came out of seeing a Broadway show. Oh, I sure did. Uh, and then we're also going to be doing The Apartment, which I actually was seeing a movie right before this. Uh, happened to be in the neighborhood where the apartment, uh, the titular apartment is. So, uh, like, I mean, you guys won't see this because this is audio, but right before we got here, Paolo showed me a picture of the apartment, which is just super cool. Uh, I'm sure that you can probably find it on Google easily enough, but it's really cool. He went by it. He actually got the picture. It exists. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, first off, Jeff, how are you? How's your time in New York so far? Uh, so far, I've been loving it. I've only been here for, I'm, I'm only here for two days this time, so so, you know, there's lots that I get to think about doing, and then I get to come back later. But the uh, the few days I've been here, we saw a Broadway show, we went to the Museum of Modern Art, we went to two other museums, we walked around a bunch, it's really hot here, it's, there's a lot going on. I'm having a great time. Yeah, and we're, we're, we're right now in a diner near MoMA, actually, so again, that's the background noise you'll hear, mm -hmm. so apologies for that, but I had to do this live with Jack. Couldn't this is also super away. cool. Think this, I think this is the first time I've recorded anything live like a podcast live in two years since the last one I recorded live would have been our episode on Sonic the Hedgehog I think <laughs> yeah, back that, was, in that was back with Pierre right yeah. yeah maybe onward it was one of those two yeah no definitely definitely you know movies are definitely back um, and you know we're, we're going back in movies so let's go ahead and get down to the business so you know first off we'll talk about all about Eve um, some you know 
know, information for people. Uh, it was written in, uh, was written and directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who is the brother of Citizen Kane writer Herman J. Mankiewicz. Um, it was produced by Daryl F. Zanuck, who is the three-time Best Picture winner and 15-time nominated producer. So, you know, definitely familiar with the Oscars. That, that's not the most that a producer. Not the most, but definitely, okay. but definitely up there. Um, it's based on the short story called The Wisdom of Eve by uh, Mary Orr, which appeared in Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, it was later picked up and combined with another story that Mankiewicz was, had been working on. Uh, it stars Beth Davis as Margot. Uh, Beth Davis had won two Best Actress Oscars in 1935 and 1938, and she was the first actor ever to get ten nominations uh, in their career. Wow. Um, she also stars Anne Baxter as Eve Harrington, who had won the 1956 Supporting Actress Oscar for Razor's Edge. Uh, there's also George Sanders, uh, Thelma Ritter, who holds the record for most nominations of an actress in a single category at four, uh, unfortunately not winning any of them. Uh, and also a young male, oh sorry, six of them, not four. Uh, Glenn Close has four supporting actress and four lead actress and still has not won one yet. Right. Um, and then uh, also stars a young Marilyn Monroe early on in her career. And she has like five lines. She's not in this very much, but she's definitely a presence if yeah. you know to look for her. Right. Um, so, you know, All About Eve uh, was uh, the winner of the 23rd Academy Awards held in March 1951, honoring the films of 1950. It was nominated for 14 categories and won six. Um, that is the tide with Titanic and La La Land for the most nominations for a single movie. Um, it won, and we'll, it won of the six, it won uh, Best Picture. Um, the other contenders that year were Born Yesterday, Father of the Bride, King Solomon's Mines, and Sunset Boulevard. Um, Sunset Boulevard will come back later. Um, uh, Best Director, it won for Mankiewicz for his second consecutive win. Um, wow. One of the few directors to actually do back-to-back -back wins. Um, got su a supporting actor for George Sanders, who I believe plays um, Addison DeWitt, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then Best Screenplay, Mankiewicz won, again, his second consecutive win in the category. Uh, Best Sound Recording, uh, the third consecutive win for the sound mixer, uh, Thomas Moulton. Uh, Best Costume Design for Black and White, back then, but they still separated them. Uh, it goes to Edith Head. This is her second of three consecutive wins out of eight total of her career. Um, in, and then there were two, and of the nominations that got that did not win, um, two Best Actress nominations for Ann Baxter and Beth Davis, uh, two Best Supporting Actress noms, uh, Celeste Holm and Thelma Ritter, is the only film, uh, I'm sorry, food's here, uh, it's the only food to receive four female acting nominations, tied for the most acting nominations uh, at five in, for any film. Uh, Mariner, uh, we have uh, Mozzarella Sticks and Calamari, if anyone's curious. Um, and then it also got Best Score for Dramatic or Comedy Picture Nom, which they separated them out from, from musicals, uh, the score, at the time. Oh, weird. Yeah. Um, the categories for a while if you go back in time. Um, it had Best Art Direction, Set Direction for Black and White nomination, and then Best Cinematography for Black and White nomination. Um, black and White was actually separated uh, as a separate category in 1936 into Color and Black and White. Um, there were special awards earlier on, and then official categories in 1939, when Gone with the Wind ended up winning the first Best Picture Cinematography Award, and also the first film to win Best Picture in Color. Um, and then also got the Best Film Editing nomination. Um, in addition to the Oscars, it got a special jury prize at Cannes, and was inducted to the National Film Registry in 1990, the second year ever that films were accepted. Uh, it would later be adapted to a Broadway musical, Applause, which would win Best Musical at the Tony Awards in 1970. So that's a lot about All About Eve. Uh, Jeff, why don't you tell us all about Eve? What were your thoughts about it? Um, I guess the first thing is I didn't hear in that 
that list uh, best score. It was not nominated for best score. Oh, it was. Right? It was. It was. It was. Yeah. And it didn't win. No, it did not win. Okay, that's good. It has an atrocious score. <laughs> uh, I believe it was Paul Newman, right? Uh, not. No, Paul Newman is the actor. It was Alfred Newman. Oh, Alfred Newman. Yeah. Sorry. There's a lot of Newmans. There's even a lot of like composers named Newman. Um, I thought this movie. We were talking about it a little bit off uh, off recording before, and you had mentioned that this movie is like mostly monologues and it's very and like the screenplay I don't know if you had said this but I would definitely say that the screenplay is kind of the strongest part of this right yeah I would agree and uh, I think this movie is very dated not that it hasn't aged well just that it hasn't aged I watched this movie and I felt like I was watching a movie from the 1950s and I was which you know that's fine I guess but the reason I point that out is because the other movie we're going to talk about, uh, I won't get into it right now, I did not feel that way. Mm. Yeah, I think part of it might have been maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the film that they were using at the time, or like the technology they had. There definitely was like a glow around like some of the, some of the, the, the especially faces on screen that would have definitely felt, maybe again, that's just an aspect of AIDS where it just feels like an older movie and not as sharp and crisp. So it felt very, um, and this is appropriate because it is a movie about Broadway and about like stage actors. Mm -hmm. um, it felt very much like a play, which, uh, again, very appropriate. It got turned into a play. And it got turned into a play. And uh, I, I hated the score. I just think that Alfred Newman, not, I think Alfred Newman is just such a boring composer. Apologies if it's not actually Alfred Newman, but we, we, we're not out of computers, we can't look it up. Yeah, but I think he's, I, like, he did the score for How Green Was My Valley, mm -hmm. and, like, that's appropriate because it's a period piece, but I think, like, when I was talking to uh, our friend Dakota a while ago, he, you know, he points out that his biggest problem with how green with my, was my valley is that it's so boring, and I think that Alfred Newman really contributes to that. Like, the score, the score of a movie is really important to me, and it can make or break a movie, and in this case, I think it actually broke this movie for me. I think I would have, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more if they had had any other Okay, so score aside, what did you think? Uh, you mentioned the screenplay was really good, right? So mm -hmm. one of the things is that, right, so last episode we talked about, um, you know, the, the first Oscar, like, being 1949, and I had mentioned there that, like, the acting felt very much like it was somewhat exaggerated, right? Mm -hmm. And this is coming from people who were... Like, you know, the early movies were people who were mostly Broadway people mm -hmm. who later eventually made the transition to the screen, but they still brought the Broadway acting techniques. Uh, this is before the, you know, the, the revolution of, like, quote-unquote, the method, which mm -hmm. will come later after both of these films we're going to be talking about. But you do see a little bit, not quite as much as it was in uh, in Wings, but it was, like, over-exaggerated. Mm -hmm. But there was still definitely, mon like I mentioned, monologue-ish, where it was meant, like, someone declaiming on stage their feelings and their emotions. That's the screenplay at, at part of it. Yeah, I think, um, I don't think it's, well, it, this is hard for me to speak on because I actually haven't seen Wings, so I can't make a direct comparison, but I I am gonna, I can compare it to The Artist, because The Artist is specifically trying to evoke those old, right. that old way, right? And in The Artist, the acting is very exaggerated, like you said. Yeah. I think here, it's in, in All About Eve, it's also exaggerated, but it's exaggerated in a different way, like they're not overly expressive, 
they're just saying a lot and it's very eloquent um, right I, I mentioned before we recorded it felt almost like Sorkin-esque mm -hmm. almost as it's Sorkin-esque of the 1950s yeah. basically the writing is very sharp and they deliver it like yeah. very sharp yeah, and my, that's the point. Yeah, I, I watched this on Amazon, and you know, they have like the little trivia stuff that goes on, mm -hmm. like in the side. And apparently, like um, Beth Midler, parent, or you know, you know um, was Beth Midler, Betty right? Davis. No, Beth Davis. Sorry, Beth, Beth Davis was known for apparently, you know, a, a previous director was had that said he was very known for like giving a lot of rewrites for her mm -hmm. own character. Apparently, she didn't touch the script at all. Basically, that, uh, I, I can believe that she had like really, she had really good monologues in this. The stuff was written. I don't know if it was written for. Betty Davis, but it was written perfectly for her. Right, and, and not even just like the monologue, it was also just like the, the retorts, like the back and forth like, mm -hmm. say, between her and her um, her husband or, or her boyfriend on, on, on screen, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who would later become her husband and then they would later divorce, but that's a whole other story. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like just the back and forth and, and all that, right? Uh, what do you think of like the plot, right? Like the, just the, the overall conceit in the story? That's a lot of the reason why I say I would have liked this movie under a slightly different circumstances because I think the plot of this movie is really good. Um, I don't know how much I can say without. No, what was we'll, we'll spoilers? Okay, cool. Uh, so this movie concerns. It's it's all about Eve, mm -hmm. and Eve is like receiving an award. That's where we enter the movie. So then it like flashes back to show her entire story, and it starts with her delivering like the corniest, most fake uh, sob story backstory for yeah. herself that I have ever heard. And Betty Davis is like, no, I don't believe you. I mean, she doesn't say that, but like she says it with her eyes and with her expression. And everyone else is like, oh my god, such poor baby. Mm -hmm. And uh, like that's, and it's all about like Eve getting in good with mm -hmm. Betty Davis's friends and basically using, kind of manipulating Betty Davis's friends mm -hmm. and uh, Betty Davis's own failings to usurp her. To, to take up the usage stepping stone, basically. Yeah. She's using, like, we are, we're, um, we're basically told that this is, that, that Betty Davis's character is, like, the Broadway actress. Mm -hmm. And so she go she gets in good, or she gets, like, into the inner circle of the biggest actress in town and uses that to completely upend her career and, like, become the biggest actress in town. It's actually fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't I saw it coming from a mile away, but like a good twist in a movie isn't a surprise. Do you think that like so obviously it's like it's, a, it's supposed to be do you think that the audience at the time in 1950 were supposed to be surprised at the end or was it something that was supposed to be obvious on first watch because obviously I mean I've read the like I, I kind of know the conceit that he used I, like with a byline that he's going to use her like the, the break in but like I think it depends on how um, what I really like about this movie is that it really plays with the emotions of its characters and I think that it does that in a way that's it's not an outright satire, but it's like a very subtle satire. Mm. I mean, it's. I don't think this movie is super subtle, and I think it is satirical. I just think that the satire aspect of it is pretty subtle. And I think that whether or not the quote-unquote twist is obvious to you really depends on how you react to that satire. Because for me, the moment I heard Eve speak, I'm like, she's a liar. Mm. She's like manipulating everyone in the room. It's so obvious. But like... 
I can totally see, but that that scene is played entirely straight. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, I don't think that I, I wouldn't fault anybody for seeing that and being like, oh man, she really does have it rough. Like I think that it's to me that scene is really funny because of like how obviously fake she is in that moment but it's played so but it's played completely straight and seen alongside other melodramatic movies which people might have done at the time and people might still do now i think it plays at least initially as a very melodramatic movie and like that's kind of and so like if you're used to seeing that you're gonna respond to it or it's i you you're probably gonna respond to it with you know um Falling for it more, in, in, to, for lack of a better term. Right, and and Baxter, right? She's the she's the, the actress who plays Eve, mm-hmm. right? So she, I mean, she does a good job. Then would you say she does a good job of be, of essentially of essentially playing like a bad actor, but actually a good actor? Like it's like a multiple levels of how is she's a good actor actress playing a bad actress? Is playing a good actress, or how how does that how would you break that down? Um, I think she does really well because like what I would describe her character as is she's she is in terms of her acting ability at least we, we don't actually get to see her character doing any acting so the impression I get is that her her character is an actress who's probably talented on her way up and she is very good at like looking at her surroundings and learning what she can and um, I don't know if any of that is what the character actually is but that's how she comes across and I think that Anne Baxter does an incredible job of doing that character yeah. I will say like the, like the the, the 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 character who turned the most for me in terms of like how impressed I was was the Addison DeWitt character. And yes. like he does almost nothing for like the first four fifths mm-hmm. of the movie. And then the last like confrontation between him and Eve and like the in like before her play opens up is like he just like does a one eighty and just like completely demolishes her and it's like that was like okay, I can see why he got nominated for best supporting actor there. Oh night. yeah. So like I will I will admit the pacing of this movie initially like okay. And didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was I was zoning out here and there in the movie. I I have in my mind the whole movie, and mm-hmm. I did watch it. I just had some pacing issues. Yeah. But near the end, that scene with Addison DeWitt, like um, his turn. Yeah. That was a twist that I didn't see coming, and like that got me to immediately like zone in on my screen mm-hmm. and be like, oh, this is happening. He's saying everything I've been thinking. What do you think of the final scene then with the the young Phoebe? Oh, who calls herself Phoebe? Uh, I think it was Barbara Bates. I think was the actress who played her. Um, but what do you think of that final, like kind of like the full circle nature of like the script? Oh, it was really funny. Yeah. This movie, I don't know how funny this movie is intended to be, but it's really funny. And like uh, everything I'm saying, like I I have almost nothing but praise for this movie. It really, I, I won't I won't dwell on it, but. I just hate the score so much because that score like because this is a movie I would watch over and over and over again if the score didn't put me to sleep so someone just needs to go in and redub the redub the score if anyone wants to just remove Thomas Newman from that and like add or not Thomas Newman Alfred Newman from that and like add in Thomas Newman actually the guy who did Wally sure alright last thing so obviously we're in New York right so how did you feel you know you just saw a Broadway play how do you think like it captured like that feeling of being on Broadway or being in the, in the theater or even just like New York in general um, I'm gonna say I don't really I, I don't know if I can speak to that very intelligently but you were like, just in the Broadway theater no, so just, just I, I was I was in a Broadway theater and I was there as an audience member 
um, when actors are good and they're doing their job well, I would never in a million years get like any impression one way or the other about their behind the scenes. Fair enough. And so, um, I, I think that, um, I think that, so one thing I heard from someone I was watching this with, uh, was that Hollywood, I, um, there was a big scandal at the time, and I won't go too far into it because you might be about to do that anyway, about this versus Sunset Boulevard. Those I did the, not go for it. Okay. Those are the two big, those were the two big players. Mm -hmm. And Sunset Boulevard is very critical of the Hollywood, uh, Hollywood at that time. Mm -hmm. And this, All About Eve, is very critical of Broadway at the time. And this is, and so it's, it's, it's a movie, right? So obviously Hollywood will mm -hmm. probably favor the one critical of Broadway. Well, and especially if, and I can only speculate here, if Sunset Boulevard is critical about Hollywood and it's right, then Hollywood wouldn't want, then, then Hollywood would be a little offended at that, right? And, um, I mean, with Broadway, like, if, if, with a movie critical of Broadway, the people that are on Broadway probably aren't voting in the Academy, so, like, they can't defend themselves. Yeah. Have you seen Sunset Boulevard? I actually have not. Me but, neither. Uh, my co-host, Pierre, loves it. All right. Well, we'll make time. Even though it's not on the Best Picture Marathon list, obviously, because all about Eve won this year instead, um, I'll probably make time to watch it, because that's the only name I actually recognized of the other nominees mm. um, from this year. So, yeah, I think that... Yeah, I was going to ask them a question about, like, you know, what do you think about, like, you know, like, the Academy supposedly loving films about, you know, show business, right, or movies specifically? It's, it's interesting, though, because, yeah, uh, the Academy is really known for loving movies about show business. Mm -hmm. You just talked about The Artist. Mm -hmm. That is a movie that celebrates the, the beginning of Hollywood. Well, not the beginning, but, like, the early years of Hollywood. And, um, you know, it... I don't fully remember what was what it was up against but like I don't think anything else had a I chance Hugo okay yeah, yeah nothing else had a chance come on it's a movie about Hollywood it's mm. gonna win but you can't say the same thing in 1950 clearly yeah. because there was a movie about Hollywood and it didn't win I mean the kind of those two are the front runners right? yeah and like I think it's interesting that like the one time you can't say that or at least the one big time you can't say that is it's not just a movie about Hollywood it's a movie very very critical of Hollywood mm. and so instead you know I don't know if, I, I think it would be disingenuous to call All About Eve a protest vote but All About Eve is the same thing except it's criti critical about Hollywood's enemy Broadway or one of Hollywood's enemies right? Yeah fair enough so uh, you know, score aside, how would you how would you say that it kind of deserves its kind of like legendary status of like the tied for the most number of nominations? You think overall? Um, I think it deserves most of the nominations it got. I don't know if I necessarily think it deserves. All. I I don't know if it deserves. I don't know if I would say that it would deserve to be on the list of most nominated movies. But I think most of the nominations it got, I would pretty much agree with. I mean, so, the fact that that's, yeah. it, it, that's obviously inflated by just having so many acting nominations. Yeah, and that's the thing is, I think that, like, it's, I think having that many acting nominations probably hurt every single one, yeah. because that's the definition of splitting the vote. Yeah. 
but like I think with it got two it got two lead actors and two supporting actors yeah, and a supporting actor and a supporting actor I think I think of those it deserved probably all of them I think there was one of the supporting actresses I thought was fine but I don't know why she needed to be nominated and I kind of wish that she hadn't been because I'm missing the I'm missing the names here but the main um, the main supporting actress the one who like Eve uses oh yeah Karen she deserved that supporting actress nomination absolutely whoever the other one was Thelma Ritter but Thelma Ritter is the one who's been nominated who was nominated for like four times in the category right so was she the um, I think she might be the Glenn Close of her uh, of of her era but was she um, she was the Maida damn no she also deserved it no they all deserved their (laughs) acting nominations yeah alright well we will set aside all about Eve for now and we'll turn to the apartment 10 years later so actually interestingly enough this would essentially be the equivalent of looking back 10 years mm-hmm. like the 10 year difference at the artist actually from where we're speaking at right now in time so it's kind of interesting to see how much has changed between 1950 and 1960 mm-hmm. as much as from the artist to today uh, so you know the apartment was directed produced and co-written by Billy Wilder who he was the writer and director of Sunset Boulevard yep. um, he compete he uh, in his career he was nominated for 21 Oscars across writing, directing, and producing, uh, winning six, three for The Apartment, two for The Lost Weekend, and one for Sunset Boulevard. Um, he was co-written by IAL Izzy Diamond, uh, who had worked with Wilder on 1959, the year prior's Some Like It Hot, which got six nominations. Oh, that was a Billy Wilder? Yeah. Oh, man. I was, I've been meaning to go back and watch that again. I think I've seen, like, most of it a while ago. Maybe your new podcast series would be looking at all of Billy Wilder's filmography. Mm, that could be it. Um, okay, it stars Jack Lemmon, uh, who had starred in Some Like It Hot also, um, Surly McLean, who would be nominated for six Oscars eventually, and uh, and eventually win for Terms of Endearment, um, among many and others. And keep getting them, she's still around. Uh, and then at the 30, so uh, the apartment at the 33rd Academy Awards held April 1961, to honor the films of 1960, was nominated for 10 awards and won five of them, the most uh, for both nominations and wins in that year. Uh, it won Best Picture Obviously, uh, contenders were the Alamo, uh, Elmer Gantry, Sons and Lovers, and the Sundowners. Um, it, the director Billy Wilder won, um, and then both Billy Wilder and Izzy Diamond won original screenplay. Um, it won Best Black and White Art Direction uh, and also Best Film Editing. Um, Jack Lemmon was nominated for Best Actor, Shirley MacLaine for Best uh, Actress, and then Jack Crucian, who plays uh, Dr. Dreyfus, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. That one was weird. That one was weird to me that he got nominated for that. It's it's cool. I think he was really good in the movie, but like he's not even in it. Barely. He's barely even in it until the second half. I, of the I have movie. thoughts on him, so okay. we'll, we'll get to him later. Uh, it also was nominated for best sound, um, and also uh, nominated for best black and white cinematography. Um, and actually, the Apartment was the last black and white film to win best picture until Sindler's List uh, in 1994. If you consider Sindler's List black and white, which it mostly is, um, black and white was eventually as a cinematography uh, category discontinued after 1966 uh, when uh, uh, when the one who, when the one that won that category was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Um, and since then, uh, only Sindler's List, Roma, and Mank have won black and white cinematography since. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, aside from the Oscars, uh, it won Best Film at the BAFTAs, Best Musical Comedy at the Golden Globes, and was inducted at the National Film Registry in 1994. It also would be adapted uh, to a 1968 Broadway play called Promises, Promises. Uh, 
so, Albien, turn to you. What do you think of the apartment? So, once again, did I hear score on there? It was not nominated. Not, not for nominated score. for score. It's nominated for best sound. That's a shame. This one should have won score. <laughs> this this movie's awesome. I love this movie. Right, this one took a while for me to get into, I think. Uh, kind of like with, with All About Eve. I think part of it, so kind of put getting this out of the way, I think this movie did not, in some regards, I think it aged well, but I think it lost a lot of it. Like, I, I was interested in, in covering this one because I was listening to a NPR uh, pop culture happy hour about the best Oscar win, like best best picture winners in history, mm-hmm. and one of the hosts said that this was his favorite best picture winner of all time. Right? Okay. Um, I can see why for a certain person that would be be that way. Um, I would say that you know there's a, there's kind of like a universal story here that kind of has transcended time, but at the same time there's also a, a lot of misogyny. It's oh, very very sure. very Mad Men esque uh, kind mm-hmm. of. I, that's probably a, a product of the time, um, but the fact that it was like it was very shocking, I guess, to see like some of the the, the treatment of women, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the screen here, which is like, okay, that definitely threw me for a loop and it took me a while to get back into it because there were some very uncomfortable things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I can't disagree with you yeah. there. But anyway, what, what, aside from that, what, what were your thoughts on the apartment? Did I say, I don't remember if I said this on, on air or not yet, uh, with, with the last movie, um, All About Eve. Oh yeah, I did say this. I felt like I was watching a movie from the 50s. Uh, the apartment felt much more modern. Like, I could get into this one and I wasn't like, I, it didn't constantly have, have me feeling like, oh, this is, this, this is like how green was my valley again. So how, what, what made the difference, do you think, between 1950 and 1960? So, um, oh, that is a really good question. So for one, I mean, this, specifically between these two movies, the score is a big thing, but also the cinematography of these two movies. Right. I think that the apartment is, both of them are functionally plays. Like the apartment is, the apartment could be a play. You could make that, I mean, clearly it got adapted into a play, but like even the way it's written out, it, it could have been a play. There's not that much that it needs to do to be, to like, that, that's, there's not that much that it's doing that could like only be in a movie, but I think it does use the cinema, uh, the, I think it uses the cinematic language a lot better. Um, I mean, you get nominated for best cinematography, and, right? I mean, and it, it should have. I, I say like the, the art direction win is probably deserved because it definitely like the way that they use his apartment as like a setting piece. Mm-hmm. I think was really interesting in conjunction with the cinematography as well. And I think um, when I'm saying too, one one thing that I think uh, really makes a difference when I say like the cinematic language is um, in All About Eve, you get a lot of shots of faces, of faces. But I was going to say specifically, like you'll get like the set is two people in a room. You might get like shots of faces and different things in that room, but in the apartment you're a lot more dynamic. And um, you know, the the ultimate extreme of that is Michael Bay where he uses like one, where he uses like maybe 20 frame shots and just is frenetic all over the place. We're not there with the apartment and like it wouldn't work. But it's from different angles also. It's from different angles, it's different settings and like, or it's different sets, yeah, it's different sets 
sets and different settings, and like you have people moving around a lot more than in uh, All About Eve. Like, there's very few shot. There's there's very few situations in the apartment where someone is like standing still talking to another person. It happens, but it's but something's, a lot. But something's happening yeah. around them while it's happening. Exactly. Um, I think you said it as well. I'm just gonna take everything Go you said it. and say it first. Uh, you also mentioned that like the apartment is a lot more dialogues where All About Eve had a lot of monologues. Betty Davis has like 14 monologues. Eve has like, she's introduced with a monologue. The apartment has narration at the beginning, which is I guess kind of a monologue, but is a very different style of monologue. And after that, it's mostly people talking to each other. Right. It's about like the interaction between people as yeah. opposed to them talking at the audience. It's like, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. Basically. Yeah. So in a way, while I say there's very little in the apartment that couldn't just be a play i think that the way the apartment is like the way the apartment plays out on screen makes me think this is a movie where all about eve i don't get that impression as strongly i'm thinking about it it sounds a lot almost like you know the recent um the Macbeth, you know the one that, that the coen brother did mm -hmm. um almost like that right that's definitely a play right but so, the way they shot that one made advantage it felt very much like a play but also took advantage of the filmic like Right. Yeah, it, like the tragedy of Macbeth, the Coen Brothers version, is, or I guess Joel Coen yeah. specifically. Yeah, that that is they're just shooting the play, but the way they shoot it, you will never see Joel Coen's staged version of the tragedy of Macbeth because you can't. Yeah, like he could not replicate that on a stage, and he wouldn't want to. The whole point is to use that cinematic language. And then the apartment does a similar thing with that, for sure. So yeah. What, what do you think of the acting, right? So you know, John Jack, Jack Lemon, I think, would go on to have like a, a, a he, he he's had like a, a very substantial career. He's been playing like, like you know a, a whole range of characters. What do you think? Did, like, I, I, obviously, I'm not, not going to assume you've seen all of his his roles, but how do you think he he captured this particular role as C.C. Baxter? Um, he's great. Like, I've seen, fun, would you call it like a funny role or a oh, tragic definitely. role? Or like, I think um, I know Jack Lemon. So like. I don't know how many Jack Lemmon movies I've seen. It's not very many. Mm -hmm. um, I I assume by default that he's probably been in a lot of very good dramatic roles. But the ones that the times I've seen him, he's really funny. Like he's a really good comedic actor, and I think that he does that really well in this movie too. Like him and Shirley MacLaine are Wait, hilarious. Shirley MacLaine is like C to the one. But I don't know what he, who won actually best actors, but just off of this alone, I I was, I was I love about her. to say she. Won one, right? Apparently not. No, she didn't. Unfortunately, see, I mean, yeah, see, see, like, I, I could definitely have seen her being, like, every guy's, like, movie crush, mm -hmm. like, in, in that year, basically. Yeah, this, the acting in this is fantastic. Like, Jack Lemmon and uh, Shirley MacLaine, obviously, standouts. But the other guy, who I think was also nominated for something, wasn't he? Or no, Jack, no, he no, wasn't. No. There was three nominations. Um, his neighbor was nominated. Yeah. But the other main character, the, like, the, the boss, the, the boss, yeah. yeah, basically like the main supporting guy. Mm -hmm. um, he was he was really good. I don't think he should have been nominated, but he was just such. He's he's very memorable in how much of a scumbag he was. Yeah, I think I think part of it is that 
one of the things is that this definitely felt like you know like that that North Atlantic like radio voice mm-hmm. or whatever it felt like he, he was that voice personified mm-hmm. for me basically with the way like he, he talked um, but going back to like the other supporting actor so the the, the, um, the, the, the neighbor right Dr. Dreyfus played by Jack Cluson, um I think the, the, you know like nowadays they say oh what was that person's like Oscar moment yeah. right like what was the like you know like um, like in Mirrored Story it was like the, the yelling scene between uh, between Scarlett Johansson and, mm-hmm. and Adam Driver right like, I think like his this actor like Jack Cousin's like Oscar moment was him being the doctor and like you know being the doctor when he's taking the sleeping pills uh, in the apartment and like him like you have to do this you have to like stay awake yeah and then like, doing being a doctor basically like he yeah. was fully believable there and this is the way like he was like trying to give advice to, to CC back so even though again so the comedic element of this like they have no idea like what's actually going on I don't think it ever gets clarified for them what ends up going on what's actually going on in his apartment right? I don't know that it does I, don't, I think it never does yeah because at the very end uh, Jack Lemon's character is moving and like he tells the doctor that he's moving he doesn't tell the doctor what was going on the doctor's yeah. just like well I'm glad you're done with that life or whatever he says yeah it's like yeah I don't think it ever does get cleared up because like I think that's so interesting in this movie because it's the central conceit of the movie what's going on in this apartment and like outside of the three main characters it's not important that anyone else know about it and like it's not that it's at a certain point it's not even that it's being kept secret anymore it's just that like well there's no point in telling anyone because now you got to explain all that if you do yeah and uh, that makes it like almost like a tragedy but also like a a bit of a comedy as well it's Okay, so this is maybe a weird way to describe it, but it's almost like a coming-of-age movie. Yeah. Because, like, he starts, you know, he starts young and full of fire and trying to, like, and doing anything he can to get to the top, and by the end he's like, I gotta live for me, which is, like, that's normally the kind of character progression you get in a coming-of-age movie. Yeah. It's basically Mean Girls, is what you're saying. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, the apartment is Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I will say maybe that that might be why, like, I wasn't quite as fully able to relate with Baxter, at least at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. just because, like, I don't know, maybe I'm at this point in my career where, like, I'm just, like, yeah, I'm, like, kind of over, like, maybe, and maybe this is our, gen- our millennial generation. It's like, yeah, we're kind of over the whole rat race striving for the top kind of thing, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, like, that part was just like okay but maybe I don't fully relate to that well but I mean that's where but that's where it should have hit doubly hard for you because at the end he gets over that I think at the end I think, that I think point, that, right? that, that's why maybe at the beginning I had like a little bit of trouble and yeah. also like okay no, not gonna lie him looking up his crush's uh, insurance info in, the da- in their database basically slightly creepy oh yeah that did happen <laughs> I mean everything I mean I said better is that worse than all the other misogyny that all the other bosses were doing I mean just to play devil's advocate here you could actually spin that and read that as um this movie being a little progressive in a way because he starts from that horrible place mm. that at the same time is supposed to make you relate to him right but then by the end not only his, like if he's changed as a person you're supposed to know that the place that he was at the beginning of this movie is yeah. actually not a very good place and, may- and maybe I don't know maybe this is something that just is a function of us being what like 40 60 60 we have, years we have 60 years 60 on years movie. on this movie and maybe like at the time that would have been considered like a somewhat romantic thing for him to do who knows 
Uh, I don't know. Well, that's but that's what I'm saying too. Is like if you walk into this movie and you see that and that doesn't bother you, by the end of the movie, you should associate that with the rest of the stuff that you should associate that as being like you should associate that with with him before he had his change of heart, and you should now realize that was bad. Yeah. Now, I mean, at this point, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate. Fair enough. Fair enough. Still. So so question then. Uh, you know, you, you talked about how this kind of like felt like a more modern movie because of like, you know, a lot of this is film language, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way it's shot, the way it's you know, scored and all that. What do you say, and even the dialogue and screenwriting, which again, I will say it felt very Sorkin-esque for probably the 60s, right? Um, especially later on in the movie. I think early on, not quite as much. I think later on it definitely got there. Um, but what do you say like thematically, right? Like how does, the, does this feel like, as the NPR critic that I, that I listened to said, does this feel like kind of like a more transcendental, like all-timer, uh, best picture type of film, you think? I definitely think more so than All About Eve. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that, I think that for a movie for our for our hypothetical transcendental best picture winner that like is the quintessential best picture winner of all time it would have to be something that like could only be a movie and for the apartment I've said this a million times now but for the apartment like I don't think it's a hundred percent there but um, it's the, up there. It's up there. The apartment as a stage play would be very different. It might like even the script. Even the script could be the same, and you would have to make it so differently that it would be almost unrecognizable. What and, about what about the themes and just like the story, like the the resolution, like like what what you get, what you as an audience member takes away from all of that? Like how does that transcend time? I guess. Um, I think. In, in this respect, I, in that respect, I think like both of them do to a degree. Mm -hmm. I think this one might a little more because All About Eve is specifically about like Broadway in the 50s, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's probably still relevant to Broadway today, at least in many respects. Oh, in my part, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Apartment is a more... It's a more... Clo it's closer to an everyman problem. Right. Like, I think in the 60s, this is probably, like, you, probably a lot of people could relate to Jack Lemmon in the 60s, in his, like, his character. Where we are, even though you said you can't, like, fully relate to him, and I wouldn't and again, expect that, that, anyone that, to. That's a function of me being, I think, past that point in my career, yeah. where I'm like, I think, maybe if I was, like, 10 years younger and well, seeing this, it's like, that drive to, like, be, I could see that maybe hitting a little bit more. Yeah, and I think the important part of that entire statement is being past that point in your career, because I think that while, while entry-level jobs look much different now, um, they, they function, a, a lot of the ways that, a lot of the ways in which entry level jobs just function in general hasn't changed like you still have to brown nose well you still can brown nose your way to the top mm -hmm. which a lot of times involves things that are involves doing things that aren't outside uh, of the office less ethical so exactly. on and so forth and like I think that um, while I cannot imagine the specific scenario the specifics obviously I think would be the specifics are yeah. strange hopefully hopefully Honest, but honestly that actually might have that might be the same as in the 60s because like the specific Specifics of this are so weird. It's like even in the '60s, is this? It makes sense. I understood what was going on, but it's like, is anyone really doing this? And even in the '60s, I want to say the answer is like, 
Maybe. Maybe. Maybe at best. Yeah, but I mean, in any case, I think I think what we're, what we're getting to here, kind of like talking about, is that like it is. I guess I will say that the department is pretty universal in that regard, at least from what we're taking from it, is that like you don't have to like the lesson is so you don't have to brown nose. You, you can find a fulfilled life kind of outside mm. of work and just being a good person, I guess, right? Yeah, it's a lot more hashtag relatable. Mm. Yeah, I think I think there is like a part of me that's like, oh, like CC Baxter feels like the hashtag original hashtag nice guy yeah or whatever which eh, don't know how i feel about that but i mean like you know it it, it, it is i think in some degree it, it, part of it i think at least the works are relatable so that just proves that this is essentially the first hashtag anti-work yeah uh, movie um maybe like i guess what i would also say is maybe one place one thing that all about eve does have on on this movie is uh like a lot on this movie is what you mentioned about the treatment of female characters in the apartment um i think the ones who are main characters are or like who are important to the plot are treated obviously badly in universe but i think they're treated pretty well by the script for yeah, the they have, most they have agency part. they have but there's not that many of them and i think all and and also i wouldn't say that the, i would say that the female characters in the apartment are even by the script treated worse than the characters in all about Eve. Yeah. Now, the main difference, of course, being that in All About Eve, it's mostly female characters. Yeah. But I think that like the characters in All About Eve are more characters. Even though Shirley MacLaine is really good in the apartment, a lot of her character uh, is a plot device. Is a plot device, and I would be, and I would say more. If a lot of her character leans into. Uh, yeah, a lot of her character leans into tropes in ways that it doesn't necessarily have to. Like she ends up, you know, halfway through she has a she has an episode, and um, uh, oh yeah, halfway through she has an episode, and like that episode kind of it, it puts her in a place where she is a damsel in distress, which like that's where the movie. Ends up going, and I don't know how the movie would avoid that necessarily. But also, like, it's still, like you said, using her more as a plot device than as a character at that point. So we need a gender bent version of the apartment, is what you're saying. <laughs> maybe, except in that case, we get we get Jack Lemon as a damsel in distress. At which point, yes, maybe that's better in terms of representation. But we're still using a character as a plot device, where All About Eve doesn't have any characters who exist solely as a plot device, right. even. Marilyn Monroe, who's very, who's got a very small part in all of it. And she's used mostly as a vehicle to get to the next plot device. She still has her own character within. She has her own character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, last question then, I guess, about these. Would you say these two films are in what your hypothetical? Would you say they are best picture quality? The Apartment, definitely. All about Eve, definitely nominee quality. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be. My my personal winner, but I would have to watch all the movies from that episode, from that year. And at least Sunset Boulevard. At least Sunset Boulevard. Okay, or even just like, not necessarily in that year, just like in general, like if you compare it to all the best picture winners you've seen. Um, when I compare it
compared to other Best Picture winners I've seen, I'm not surprised. I mean, I keep bringing out how green was my valley, and like, if people don't know this, uh, that was composed by Alfred Newman. So, like, you know, of course, an Alf of course, something with Alfred Newman is gonna get Best Picture, right? Not gonna get Best Picture, but like, I'm not surprised because it reminds me of other Best Picture winners I've seen. Okay. So I'm not surprised to see it in that list. All right, Zeph. Well, before I send you off uh, back into New York and to enjoy the last couple of hours you have here, uh, what movies are you looking forward to for the rest of the year that aren't Oscar-related, or even Oscar-related? What, what, what are you looking forward to for the rest of the year? So I just found out that The Fablemans is playing at TIFF, and I have a ticket. I have I have six t tickets to TIFF, so I'm going to use one of those on The Fablemans for sure. Uh, beyond that, um, I'm going to go see Nope tomorrow probably, and uh, I think. What's it called? Inu O. Uh, Inu O. Inu O is coming I know, out I, soon. Inu that's is, the yeah. one. That's that's my most anticipated movie of the year. I'm so excited for that one. All right. Well, I am right there with you for pretty much pretty much all of those. I'm I'm pretty sure Nope is probably gonna get a bet, uh, a nomination somewhere in the Oscars. So I'll probably have to watch it at some it, point. It's gonna be nominated. It's just a question of what is it gonna be nominated right. for. Inu, we'll we'll see how the Oscar treats anime, but I'm still gonna watch it regardless because you know, <laughs> yeah. anime. Um. All right. And Fablements is of course gonna get nominated for best of picture. Course. So, anyway, Jeff, it is, as always, a pleasure, this time in person, to see you. This was awesome. Uh, Thank yeah, you so hopefully much. Hopefully we can do this again. Maybe I'll come to Toronto sometime. And we can, oh, if we you can, do, just yeah. let me know. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. Many thanks again for, to Jeff for making time on his whirlwind visit of New York City to meet up with me and record this episode. Uh, I know I'm definitely going to have to make my way up to Toronto so that we can return the favor. Or, hey, just come back again, Jeff, sometime, and you know we can do this again. Um, if this is the first time uh, you've heard of Jeff on the on the Oscars Death Race podcast, he's been on many episodes before in the past. Make sure you go and check out his other pod, his own podcast, Classic Movies Live, which he co-hosts with his with other friend of the show, Pierre. I'm sure I'll have them both on again this coming season of the Oscars Death Face podcast, of course. Um, they just finished up their series Kicking It with Kendrick, where they watched all of the films in Anna Kendrick's filmography, so make sure to check that out as well as the rest of their episodes. Uh, links to their podcast feed and social media will be in the show notes. Now, as far as next month's episode, you know, here's where I would usually say what films we're watching next episode. Um, but, you know, we're actually going to be two episodes in on this mini project, taking a break from, you know, the Best Picture Marathon because... It's the month of September. And, you know, that means that we have the film festivals like Toronto International Film Festival, New York Film Festival, Venice, uh, coming out with their films, which are probably going to be uh, frontrunner. Whoever wins those will be frontrunners for the Oscars. Um, and, of course, you know, we start having, you know, awards films coming out basically starting from uh, middle of September onward. Basically, every week we have a different film that, by my estimation and by, you know, estimations of Gold Derby and other pundits, uh, who will likely be the favorites for the Oscars season. So, um, you know, definitely, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to be having a special episode next episode uh, with a special guest to talk about, you know, help you get ahead of your death phase viewing, right? Uh, we'll go over the winners of the film festivals that have finished by that point. Um, and we'll also look at, you know, studio by studio, week by week, who are the most likely films to be nominated for the Oscars, at least at this point in time, um, so that you can, you know, plan out your your movie viewing for the next couple of months in anticipation of next, next season's Oscar death race. So we'll be back with our normally scheduled Best Picture Marathon Racing in October. 
Uh, but still, next month's episode should definitely be what you want to tune in, especially if you want to get ahead of the death race. In any case, that wraps up this episode of the Best Picture Marathon of the Das Oscar Death Race podcast. Let me know how your death race is going on Twitter at Oscars D Racecast or via email at Oscars Death Race Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your podcast of your choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And if you can leave us a review there or on podchaser.com or even just share it with a friend who loves movies, any of that is super helpful, linked in the show notes. Also, link will be my letterbox account under the username, the username NinjaBoy, boy with an I. And be sure to check out the Oscar race and Oscars Death Race subreddits, though they'll probably be more active uh, come award season. Um, and of course, the Oscars Death Race Discord and the community website. Uh, music is provided by Kevin MacLeod and Compitech.Formers.io. Editing production by NinjaBoy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the movies or die trying.